is the XR Motion Podcast with your host, Michael Steinberg. Welcome to the XR Motion Podcast, where we talk about what's coming down the line in the motion design industry and where we also focus on and talk about cool XR, AR, VR, metaverse, NFTs, just pretty much all the cool things that are happening in our field. Today, we have with us a fantastic guest. I saw his artwork. It's stunning. Go check it out. We have Danny Behar. He is a New York City based filmmaker and writer, which is exciting. And originally he's from Boston. He studied film at Brooklyn College, graduated in 2018. What a year that was. As an editor, he has cut videos for GQ, Epicurious, Wired, and Cash Cab, which I love that show. And guys, make sure to again check out his work before we get going here because you just got to know where he's coming from and his work is fantastic. So if you go on to TikTok, that's going to be D-J-B-E-H-A-R. Same thing with Twitter. It's going to be Danny underscore B E. H-A-R. Let's get going. Danny, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So you're in New York, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in uh, Queens. Cool. You're originally from Boston. Did you do work there? Has most of your professional work been in New York City? Yeah, pretty much everything's been in New York. I, I've been in the city for about eight years now. It's really starting to add up. Yeah, I lived in Brooklyn for a while, went to Brooklyn College, and yeah, I've edited for a number of years at a bunch of places. And yeah, I kind of do VFX now. Now, when you went to college, was that for video editing or what, what kind of what were you doing in college? Well, I actually started out doing computer science. That was like what I originally went to school for. And then my interest kind of changed and I transferred schools to Brooklyn College and I went to their uh, film school and I actually majored in screenwriting. That was my concentration. Man, I'm, I'm excited to hear your story. Well, why don't you, if you don't mind, what's your path been in film writing and editing? And then how did you wind up in the VFX field? Well, I think filmmaking as a whole, it's been like the main thing that I do. And that has many facets, right? It involves writing. It can involve VFX. It can involve all these sorts of things. And I'm kind of one of these people who likes to specialize in as many things as I can. So I used to make a lot of YouTube videos way back in the day. So that kind of involved teaching myself how to edit. And then really the thing that kicked off the VFX was that I had this script I wrote that it was, it was a very crazy idea. I'll try to describe it to you. It was basically a Lego animation that was about Mark Zuckerberg and his kind of involvement in the 2016 election. And it was like a comedy script, but it was, I was like really into it. And I was like, okay, if I learn CGI, I can like kind of maybe make this on my own. So I started learning Blender and I taught myself quite a lot. And I don't know, maybe rendered like five or six different shots. I was working on how to animate the faces and I very quickly burned out. And I realized it was way beyond me. I mean, I had pretty high standards for it. I didn't want it to just be like crappy YouTube animation. And I realized it would take me like years to finish it. So I burned out, but then I was like, you know what? I do enjoy 3D filmmaking and um, I was learning Blender. So I was very into Blender and yeah, I just kind of picked it up and kept it going. Yeah, it's funny because back then I feel like I kind of had a similar route where I was super interested at all these huge ideas I wanted to do, but especially without having the RTX cards out and just processing speeds back then, it felt near impossible to get anything good. I mean, the wait time, I remember my first thing was like a dragon I tried to make going around New York City. <laughs> I swear the crappiest dragon, it must have been like maybe a hundred polygons. And that still took my school computer like an entire night to render. It was terrible, but <laughs> yeah, it burnt me out pretty bad, especially learning Maya. Oh, yeah. Was that your first? Yeah, it was my first. Yeah, it was just a very, I don't even know how to put it into words. It was just, I was not getting results fast enough and it just took a lot longer than I wanted. And in college, my professor was like, you know what? If you want to get into this field, 
then you need to be good at one thing. Do you like hair? Then you only do hair. Do you like eyeballs? Then you only do eyeballs. And I was like, I don't even really like this at all in any way, shape or form right now. So that's really crazy. I mean, I've thought a lot about that, about if I want to become like a generalist or a specialist. And I feel like those like specialist things, they're intriguing where it's like, oh, there's a guy who is like a super specialist in just skin pores and like... (laughs) making the muscles stretch the right way. But I'm like, man, it sounds cool, but I don't understand how you can commit to something that niche that could like in a year just immediately be automated or yeah. like be completely irrelevant. It seems wild. It's a gamble. Well, I'm really curious. So you're, you're in school, you're learning Blender, you get burnt out, or maybe this was before school, you're doing the Lego animation, you get burnt out. Uh, what was your next steps into going back into the field? So when I was getting burnt out on that, I was, this was now, actually, this was like 2019. This was only like three years ago. That was like kind of when I started doing the blender or maybe the end of 2018. And so, you know, I had my day job and I kind of just, I was learning blender on, I think like CG cookie. I was doing those tutorials, which I mean, I had mixed results with that. Some of them, I feel like I learned a lot. Some, I was just bored out of my mind. And then... I think, honestly, the next big Blender thing I attempted, it was like another burnout. I reached out to a friend of mine to make a music video for him because I I was like listening to his song and I was like, oh, this is the easiest or not the easiest, but I was like, this is a pretty cool Blender idea, like feasible. It was like a song about where there was a lyric that involved feeling like you're in an apartment and going through a maze. So I was like, okay, I'll make a CG apartment for this music video. It'll be like a cool, I don't know, Rube Goldberg type contraption, all these cool shots. And I I just reached out to him. I was like, I'll do this whole music video. I don't care if you pay me, like, I'll just make it for you. And I made like an animatic. I probably got halfway done with it. And then I, same thing, kind of just burnt out. And I mean, again, learned so much, but at the end of the day, I like all I had were these crappy unfinished shots. Some of which are like still on my Instagram. I think I got to the point in that one where I was like, these are cool on their own. It's a little apartment CG model that I had worked hard on, but I was like, yeah, might as well just post. So you went to school for writing. Mm -hmm. How is that? And do you feel like you use any of those skills that you learned in college and writing? And do you feel like you apply that to your work at all? Well, okay, so the program I was in, it was the film school at Brooklyn College. There's like a bunch of different kind of concentrations you can do. Screenwriting, production. I think there's like a cinematography one maybe. And it's like a big pool of classes. And a lot of them are just spread across all the concentrations. And then there's some that are just your screenwriting classes. So a lot of the classes I did were just intro to production. Here's how to edit. Here's how to hold a camera, that kind of stuff. And there were a couple that were just more specifically writing. So those general production classes really helped. I feel like knowing how to like frame a shot properly and rule of thirds, that stuff is super applicable. I'm like always, when I'm designing my shots, trying to line up the focal points and whatever. The writing, I don't know. I mean, I think I got a lot out of it, but with the VFX, with what I'm doing now, it's like, I don't know, kind of hard to draw a connection. So after college, I know you were doing Blender and you're also a fantastic editor. What was your professional career path after getting done with college? Yeah. So again, this is only like a a few years, right? This is now like one or two years ago. (laughs) Right, right. Two years ago. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot in the two years, man. Like, I mean, honestly, looking at your stuff, it's just, your work's fantastic. It looks like you've been doing it for a long time. I appreciate that. So at my day job, which was, I worked at this company called Condé Nast, which they own a bunch of magazines and they have pretty much every popular YouTube channel, GQ, Bon Appetit. So I was editing a lot of those videos and some of them surprisingly did have opportunities for me to use VFX. There were some that were like, okay, this celebrity shows off 10 other, I don't know, favorite things. And because they're these, well, I won't say anything bad about specific people, but (laughs) some of these celebrities just would not bring the things in with them. They'd be like, my favorite thing is this uh, t-shirt. I don't have it with me. It's just a good t-shirt. So (laughs) that presented an opportunity for me to make a CG t-shirt or whatever the item was that they forgot to bring that day. 
And yeah, that was definitely like a chance to kind of bring my stuff to like a professional level that was passable for, I mean, YouTube, but still like there were around, sometimes these producers would look at my CG and they would, they'd be like, okay, this maybe cut this one. It was like a good kind of benchmark to like get it to a certain level. There was like a thing they love, those producers love where specifically these videos where the, I don't know, it's like a celebrity talking about a item. They love to have them throw it if it's like small enough at the lens. Like, oh, this guy's talking about, I don't know, a hair tie or like a flosser or something random. Be like, you know, throw it at the lens, see if that looks cool. And it would always, it's like a camera. So even if it's like an inch away, it looks like it goes up. Right. So that was like a fun, actually make it line up task. Doing some rotoscoping a little bit. Exactly. That's fun. So you, you had been doing that. Were you freelancing there or were you full time? Believe it or not, I worked there for a little over three years. I actually just left this past month. And I mean, just the state of the industry, I was freelance for three and a half years. They like to call it permalance, which is yeah. a horrible word, but <laughs> that's what I was. So you, when you're editing there, did you wind up start picking up Blender again throughout the more recently? or Because I noticed you had some stuff and I'm not even sure how much or what you did on um, one shot but i saw you there was like a i'm trying to recall from memory was it like a house that transforms into a rocket ship and then that takes up extremely cool shot was wondering what was the process for you on that and what was kind of your involvement in, in that shot yeah i think you're talking about the one where the camera kind of follows it and it's traveling over the city Is that yeah the one? yeah yeah, so that was, I mean, well, just to be clear, I've never put Blender down since I made that first Lego thing. Like, ever since then, I've been working on it for three or four years at this point. But that was a shot where that was actually kind of the second iteration of this other shot that I did before that, where, I don't know, this is just like kind of how sometimes I think of ideas is I'll be walking around in the city and I'll see something and I'll think like, in this case, I saw like a turret on a some kind of brownstone. And I thought that kind of looks like a rocket in some ways. That'd be cool if there's like a, just a rocket that is styled like a brownstone with, with the materials and maybe like a fire escape. And I made that maybe like, this is like maybe a year before the shot you're talking about. I made that, but then I was like, what do I do with this? Like I, I was trying to like put it in space. It didn't look very good. And I was just not finding a good way to frame it until much later when I realized, oh, this would just be cool if I put it on a brownstone and had it kind of taken off. And that was, that blew my mind when I was able to put that together. I had never made a full frame, large city scale shot before. So I did that. And then the shot you're talking about where it's more like a, like a whole, like just smaller, I actually called it, the name of the project is, well, there's a couple names. I feel like all my projects have like three different names, <laughs> but, um, one of them, I, I for a while, I was calling it Brownstone Shuttle Cruiser because it's like kind of a smaller ship that's just flying over the city. That was like literally just kind of the same thing. I was I was like taking another walk and I was like, that one, that could also be a rocket. Just the front part of that and stairs. I love these things. So fun. I want to ask this and then I'm going to ask you a ton of questions about your work here. Are you kind of just doing mainly 3D kind of freelance now? Because I know you said you were there permalance for three and a half years and decided to jump into a new adventure. Was that any reasoning behind that or any specific new clients or just kind of like done with editing? You know, I, I mean, I did get burned out with the editing in some way at that job, but I mean, it's also the content. It's a lot of just making fluff pieces and press junket videos. It's it's like pretty much, I mean, depending on the brand, it's that over and over. So it's not like I'm that tired of editing, but I was, as I was ramping up my VFX, I was kind of looking for more jobs. So you're using Blender for all of these, correct? Yeah. That's incredible. I, I feel like the more people I talk to, the more I'm just like, man, Blender is awesome. So for the rocket ship stuff you do, are you also, are you bringing this into After Effects after, or are you pretty much sticking with just Blender? Oh, no, there's always After Effects. Okay. <laughs> there's always, I mean, for a while I was kind of like, I had some issues with compositors. There's like, like I was almost completely set on DaVinci Resolve. 
I used that for a while because there was like a color management problem I had with After Effects. Just like kind of Blender has like its own nice, not what, but like color space that I would render. And then I would put in that, I would put it into After Effects and it would kind of, I couldn't figure out how to set it up in the same way. DaVinci had like a perfect, easy way to do that. But the one, it's so funny, almost the entire DaVinci package is free. And as far as I could tell, there's just one feature behind the paywall. And it was like the, a huge one for me, which was temporal denoising. And I was like, how can that be the one that's so crucial to my animations? <laughs> After Effects can do, I mean, it's a plugin that I have for After Effects, but I could do that in After Effects. I can't do that in DaVinci. It's crazy. That's too funny. So you're bringing these in from After Effects. You also did one with a train, and I know you said that was over a city. Now, is that city, did you make that city or did you just turbo squid that up? Okay, yeah. So the city, that it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing. So basically there's a way, and this is kind of legal gray area here, but <laughs> basically, and it's the same thing I did for the city in, in my other rocket shot where it's flying over. There is a way, and I don't know if you could do this. I think you could do it with other software besides Blender. Basically, you can go to Google Maps and you can extract the 3D models using this other piece of software. And then there's like an importer for Blender. So you can basically take any kind of satellite 3D stuff from Google and just pop it in, which is, it's totally against their terms of service. <laughs> like there's no way that's, what they want you to do with it. Right. <laughs> but like weirdly, I made like a little tutorial for that, for one of those shots. And I kind of mentioned that, that like, if you're doing this for social media, that's okay. But like, you cannot, this is not like a legitimate thing you can do. This is for research purposes only. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but weirdly, there's this website, Sketchfab. I don't know if you've used it. They have like a lot of 3D models. I will be like browsing on that website and I will see like, oh, I'll look up like, I don't know, Empire State Building or some, some like, architecture or geography thing and i'll see like oh here's like uh empire state building and it's like a little kind of surrounding buildings i'll be like this is totally google maps like this is totally <laughs> there's no way someone just modeled this like it's clearly you can see it kind of like a cutout tile the same way that it would extract it it's like like how is this and it's i've seen it so many times on that website just like different clear like people just rip stuff from Google and put it on there. I'm not surprised at all. I feel like so many things I'm always like kinda, I'm not even sure what the like legal ramifications would be if you actually did get that, put it in a movie and then wound up being a Google thing. That would be, I'm wondering how it's that crazy. dealt. Yeah, but I can't even comprehend that these are from Google Map. To be honest, that city looks almost flawless. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, it obviously looks like New York City, but it looks real. The depth is amazing. And the buildings, even the one that are close up and you're flying by it. I mean, they don't look pixelated. They don't the look- The motion blur is doing a lot of heavy lifting, but yeah, <laughs> they're, they're unbelievable. It's funny because some of the other buildings I've done for, I've taken some stuff from Brooklyn and that stuff, it really needs motion blur and it really needs to be far away to work. But when I did that shot, those buildings are like Upper East Side, Billionaire's Row around there. Yeah. Those are like really, I was like shocked how high resolution they came out. I guess it's just like higher resolution models in Midtown. I heard there was this cool, I don't know what ever happened to this. I don't know if you've heard or seen this, but there was some kind of software that was trying to do digital recreation of anywhere in the world. So pretty much what you would do is you'd, take a bunch of photos of something like the Empire State Building, right? Or the Statue of Liberty. And it would compile all the pictures of the Statue of Liberty from everybody, all Google search engines, all internet search engines, and then you could upload your own photos. And then it would use that to recreate digital images. That's cool. I don't know if I've seen that exact thing, but I've seen like similar sorts of things where it's like almost like a hyper lapse of people if different people's photos or something like that yeah it's like it was trying to do photogrammetry through google searches and people uploading their own images all right it's been like three five years since i've seen that or heard of that but it kind of reminds me of um i think i saw something really similar 
it might have been on Sketchfab that they were involved with or something where like a temple in, I think, Japan burned down or was destroyed in some capacity. And like they used a crowdsourced photo collection to do the photogrammetry. Whoa, I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds amazing. That's cool. That's awesome. I think that was like the first time I had heard of photogrammetry. I was like, what now? They just made a model with photo. Photogrammetry is cool. I feel like that's definitely going to be the future. I mean, I, I... Every few months I like get the kick or I'll see somebody do something with it. And I'm like, oh, let me download that app. And then I do a few models with it. And it's still always got the polygon issues yeah. where you're getting like cup with the trillions of polygons and you got to do a whole bunch of cleaning up or. Yeah, I used on my most recent post, I have this model that's like pretty high focus in the foreground for that. That was like kind of a real building, but. I used the Polycam app. I went, because it's maybe 10 blocks from me. I scanned it. I was looking like a like crazy person, just like walking back and forth around it. And it's so funny after you see your path, the exact steps you took. And it's so funny. I'm like, what was I doing? It did not come out that good though. So like, <laughs> I literally just like imported it and it kind of gave me like a good reference. Like it gave me almost like a floor plan of what the building looked like. I was like, all right, I can work with this. And then I just did the rest myself. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So what were, what did you do for the smoke and flames on that? Does Blender have that naturally built in or did you use Embergen? So I really like Embergen and I tried so hard to use it, but <laughs> I feel like it's just not quite there. I had like a few different problems with it. I was trying to like get my mesh imported and it wasn't really working. And then something's wrong with their... There's like something inconsistent with their VDB shader support, or I guess it's not a shader, but like their, their VDB wasn't quite clicking with Blender. I probably did like five passes on the Emergen trying to make it work. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try simulating this in Blender because Blender does have, they updated their simulator, I think like two years ago or one year ago. They have Mantaflow now and it worked really well. So what, what is in the current shot is Blender simulator. And what really works about it is just the shader. I mean, I'm sure it's just a software inconsistency between Embergen and Blender, but it just worked. What is the render time like for that simulation? Because that is just, that looks amazing. That That's fantastic. I love the smoke. I love the thickness and how dark it is and, and the dissipation of it. It wasn't too bad. I mean, to render the whole shot, it, it was a few different layers. And I think it probably took total render time for like all the final shots probably took like two days but like not a 48 hour render but like one layer took 12 hours and one took like eight but yeah i mean it maybe took like an hour to simulate the smoke dissipation was really what was driving it because one of my iterations it was dissipating too quickly and it's like a dynamic bound simulation so the quicker it dissipates the faster it all works and it doesn't have to occupy as much space I was like, nah, I need this to like really stretch out. So I kind of bit the bullet there with the render time. So with that, I mean, I'm just curious with Blender, like Embergen is essentially a drag and click, I feel. There are settings, but it works almost right off the bat with some awesome effects. Is Blender kind of like that, or is it something where it's maybe like X particles and you really got to spend some time and finesse it to get that beautiful look? I feel like, honestly, Embergen has more settings. I don't know which is easier to use out of the box because I've kind of gotten my these like kind of fire simulations down to a science. It's pretty much just five button clicks. Maybe they're hard to figure out what five buttons, but like it's a pretty like strong downward force and then a small ferocity and this and that but yeah embergen isn't too hard either i mean i feel like they're both relatively you can watch a couple tutorials and kind of get it pretty quickly mm, yeah I've, I've been messing with embergen I, I really like it but it's a lot more fun embergen like just not is like so much more fun yeah the viewer layout is just great what kind of render engine are you using out of blender are you just using like EV cycle or cycles, yeah. Cycles. Okay. I wish I could do EV because it, it would it would make my life a lot easier and save <laughs> me like days. But yeah, I've never had much luck getting anything from EV. 
Do you use it as like a viewport thing or just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eevee is like kind of what they use for like their... It's called, I think, look dev mode where you can see the textures and stuff. So that I use it for that all the time. And then also, I do actually use Eevee. My current job is at Saturday Night Live and that has a lot of real quick... They need stuff rendered instantly. So Eevee's good for that. Have you used Octane at all or any other render engines in Blender? I'm always curious about that. So when I got hired at SNL, I I thought I was going to need to do C40 there. So I bought like a month of Grayscale Gorilla because I think I had like two months before the season started. I really buckled down every day. I was like, okay, new tutorial, new project. I started learning Octane for that because, you know, they have like their free version. But then I realized... First of all, I realized that SNL probably didn't have Octane. So there wasn't really any, I mean, beyond my own projects, there wasn't really any purpose of me learning it. But then the first show, I didn't even need to do Cinema 4D. I I just, they were like, oh yeah, you can do Blender. That's fine. So it was pretty much all for nothing. (laughs) That's awesome. So what is it like working? I mean, I used to do stand-up, so I'm highly jealous that you're working at SNL. That was like a dream of mine. So how is it working at SNL and what's your day-to-day lifestyle with that? Because, and I, you know, as somebody who has worked on kind of live TV, mine was Bloomberg, not nearly as complicated, more charts, very basic, but still working in live TV was extremely stressful there, but it's just such a different animal working on TV versus things that have essentially almost no deadline or very days out. But yeah, what's your experience like there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great so far. I We're on like a hiatus right now, so it's a ni- nice to have a little break. But I feel like I've done maybe almost a dozen episodes, and each week is, it's crazy. It, I mean, obviously it depends on the week. Sometimes it'll just be like three sketches that are almost no VFX or just, you know, like, I mean, every show they'll have their standard beauty fixes and little cleanups and this and that screen replacements and then other times it'll be like absurd it'll be like okay we're doing a space i think it was like episode one it was like the first episode back from the summer so they were doing a sketch about those billionaires going to space yeah i think the sketch was called billionaire star trek (laughs) and we had to model a amazon spaceship i didn't do that but someone else on the team did and it was crazy we had probably a dozen or so spaceship and space shots to do in like a day. Wow. It was like extremely hectic. <laughs> yeah, they do not mess around. Do you do any of the editing with that too? I mean, because comedy is in general hard to edit. It's very difficult to make things funny. If people think it's easy. It's it's. There's a lot more that goes into it than people right. assume. Yeah, no, I don't do the, um, the editing. There are four or five editors who are there week to week and i mean it it is a challenge for them like it'll be like cut to cut huge changes i mean there's sometimes it'll be like they'll work on a sketch and they'll realize it's just not working and they'll cut it from the show and then next week they'll just try to re-edit it it's a lot of my i mean from my perspective a lot of minute changes to just try to get one joke to work and it's i feel like it's kind of the same with the vfx they'll be like okay this is like kind of a vfx heavy joke and we'll try to sell it, and they'll be like, not funny enough. We'll cu- we're cutting it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so and do you have any good stories while working there? What's maybe, if you can share anything, like maybe a highlight that you had there? I think last week, this isn't, I mean, debatable if this is a highlight or a low light, but one of the craziest experiences was last show, because pretty much everything is coming together in one day for three sketches that we're working on. And what we do is before the footage is color graded, we're working on the shots and then we'll deliver them to dress. The footage will be graded and then we'll relink that and we'll kind of redo our graphics to match the color. So we delivered our color and then we found out 15 minutes. This was probably like 11, 15, like maybe 15 minutes before the show started. We found out that in the edit, the other footage that we weren't working on was not connecting. So we had to re-deliver all of our shots in 15 minutes without color so that they could just put a a filter on the whole 
edit in wow and do no individual color grading so it was like the biggest rush i had seen it was just like working like lightning to try to get every single shot in 15 minutes that we had worked all day on yeah right right that is intense you know at bloomberg a lot of times how our process would go is there'd be a story and then maybe some people would work on it or there was even live request where just as it comes in, you do a cue and you talk with the producer throughout the day. What's the creative process there? Yeah, so there's basically every week there are three sketches that we work on or pre-tapes. Sometimes there will be like just two, but generally it's three. And there is always a lead who works on each one. So they will go to the meeting on Wednesday. If it's a heavy piece with VFX, they will go to set on Friday when they shoot it. And then on Saturday, they will lead maybe four or five artists and divvy up shots. Yeah, lead the creative and do the communication between the whoever it needs to be, the director, the writer, the editor. They kind of fit that role. That's fun. That's fun. I I think live TV is just... Every week's different. Yeah. It's got that adrenaline rush. It's a lot more high octane than um, editing for GQ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but with Blender, what would you say your favorite part is about Blender? Have you used other programs before and like that you just decided to stick with Blender? And what would you just say like you mainly do in Blender that you're like, this is the best tool it has? I have dabbled. I think cinema is like the probably the runner up to what I've used the most. I've dabbled in Houdini a little bit. I played around with some tutorials. I used Maya for about five minutes. I think I've probably made modeled a coffee mug in each every piece of software. <laughs> That's like always my like try to figure out the program go to. But I really don't think there's I mean, other than obviously it's free, I feel like each piece is like competent in its own right and the only thing that's really kept me on the blender train is that i just know it so well like i know the hotkeys it's like playing an instrument kind of if i had that level of familiarity with maya i'm sure i would like it just as much and i don't know i mean i think blender's a lot of fun it has like a good ui these days and its internal renderer is nice so i find it easy to use but like the end of the day i think each package has its pros and its cons. Cinema 4D, I was amazed with some of the features that it has. And I was also baffled at some things that it was missing. Its particle system has a lot more control. You can do really like basic stuff with kind of, it's what's called a raise in Blender where you kind of duplicate something in a line or a grid. That's much easier in Cinema 4D. But then there's other things like, okay, here's the one thing that baffled me the most about Cinema. And it's like a super minor thing is there was like one snapping thing that I, I Googled it and it, I don't think it exists. It's like you can't just snap, I think, a vertice to another vertice. It's like it wants you to put it. I can't remember the exact conundrum, but I was like, wait, this just isn't a feature. Like you can't just <laughs> go vertice to other vertice. Interesting. They have something. I don't know which version you were on. I'm not. Yeah, that's true. I might have been three versions out of date. That's also possible. Yeah, I know there is something I want to call, say it's the melt. Hold on. I've been doing it. Are you just talking about combining like points together? No, I, I mean more like if you have a cube and, okay. you want to, and you want like the edges and the vertices, the corners of the other cube to just snap together so it's right on top oh. or something like that. Yeah, that is interesting. I actually have never tried that before. That is funny. That's like fascinating to me because I feel like that's a huge part of my, what I'm doing. It's like, okay, I'm building like, I don't know, a road or like a house or whatever. And I'm like, okay, next floor, line it up. Or like laying this thing out, line it up. Like cinema, it's like, wait, you can't line it up. That's interesting. I'm going to have to check. Blender, still, it's, I got to get better at it. I got to I gotta experiment. I feel like every month I've been doing it more and more and more. I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, what I'm talking about is something that's like so unnecessary when it really comes down to it. Like if you zoom out far <laughs> enough, you can't tell. And it's just like, oh, Blender allows for me to have this OCD tendency that does not matter at all. 
Well, the one thing I will say is I've heard is Blender does have a lot better modeling tools. And when it comes to just creating things or editing meshes, it just has a lot more features. So if I'm getting into that a little bit more versus just doing geometric shape scattering or I don't know, just compositing, I'm trying to get more into the organic stuff. So I, that's kind of been why I'm pretty interested in Blender these days. But I still just... It just sucks to suck. I like open totally. Blender and I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> and yeah. I go back to cinema. There's, yeah, there's no cure for that other than just time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Besides doing the donut tutorials, is there any other place that maybe you would recommend? Like, you got to check out these guys if you're getting into Blender. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I feel like honestly, if you really want to learn it's like that classic, you've got to learn by necessity. When I worked on my projects that I burned out with, I learned everything from that, pretty much. Okay, so there's that. But then also, I'm constantly watching tutorials, like every single day, even still. And okay, one person who I'm sure you've heard of, but Ian Hubert, yeah. he's like the GOAT. He's the, like the blunder guy. He has like a Patreon where he'll just do larger breakdowns and long form tutorials. But like his minute ones on YouTube, those are incredible and everyone should watch those if they're trying to learn blender his work is unbelievable that was probably one of the first tutors slash just blender artists that i saw and just said okay i should probably take blender a lot more serious yeah. uh, because his stuff is just mind-blowing and not even knowing how to do it but just like oh these were done in blender you can really do something that convincing and that cool I feel like I'm pretty harsh when it comes to like what tutorials I watch. I'll watch like the first 10 seconds and I'll be like, eh, it doesn't look that good. I won't watch this. But his are like, oh, this is insane. I got to see how he did this. Yeah, they are honestly the next level of tutorials. I don't think you can make a tutorial that fast. He cuts out the breaths in his tutorial. It's cut so fast. It's hilarious. He also has, from watching his longer tutorials, he has a modeling and design style that is it's amazing but it can also be like so infuriating how like wild he models when i watched my like really like foundational cg cookie like here's how to model i don't know a mug or like a face they're like keep it to quads make sure your vertices are merged and ian is just like the exact opposite he's just like <laughs> throwing vertices into the wind and just like you zoom in it's like oh yeah that looks fine it looks great like complete opposite philosophy yeah, I feel like I saw some of his, I'm not sure what it's called in Blender, but he was even doing photo mapping on objects and just making very basic shapes and just throwing so many just images and just being like, that looks good, that looks good, that looks yeah. good. And I just was like, it does. Yeah, I completely adopted that from him. It's like insane. Let's go ahead and jump a little bit more into the future here. We're going to kind of go into this portion of the show that I love so much. Where do you think our industry will be for visual effects, 3D, or yourself even, in the next five to ten years? Okay, five to ten years, industry. I don't think the form is going to change that much. I mean, this is maybe me being naive, but I feel like television and films are still going to be like the top dogs. I think video games aren't going anywhere, and I don't know. I guess they're already like what? the higher like a higher percentage of the the market these days i'm not really a a big gamer but so i don't really pay attention much to that but i feel like maybe games will take up a larger space but i don't think television's going anywhere just like beyond the technology itself it's like those tv personalities they just have so much clout i guess they'll keep doing their video game cameos and roles but i don't think the the tv industry is really going anywhere but in terms of technology and VFX, I mean, I think that's just going to keep getting crazier. And we're probably going to move into, we're going to see the stuff they use on Mandalorian with the LED volumes. I think those are going to become more accessible. I think those are going to become a more like a, a lower budget thing. I was trying to look into that recently about just like a super DIY. How do I make my own, I don't know, computer screen into like an interactive kind of thing. I couldn't figure it out. I like gave up so quickly. Yeah. There's like not really much information about how to do that. But I was like, yeah, in a year, this will be more accessible. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot that's coming on that. I saw on, um, I think it's Film Riot, they were showing, it wasn't interactive, but they were showing still how to have projections on white walls and they were filming it. So I guess it was interactive. They were using Unreal Engine with a projector behind them and just using some kind of mid-grade projections, talking about a few hundred dollars. It was awesome. Like it was just somebody standing there. They put a few lights on them and then they put like a forest, projected it with a projector behind them. And then with Unreal Engine, when they move the camera, the background kind of moves with it, giving it some depth. That's really cool. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, I could see that film technique coming out more and especially if you have LEDs, because that was the cool thing with the Mandalorian is it gives you that reflection off the metals, which is just so awesome. Yeah, apparently there are some volumes in New York. I, don't, I can't remember where, but they do exist already. And there weren't like serious conversations at my job about doing that, but people were like starting to talk about it. They're like, could we? Is that a thing we could do? Do we have the budget? Is it expensive? It's coming down the pipeline at some point. I'm sure it's just going to get cheaper and cheaper. The more artists that get good at it and the more studios that start getting built from it. Because you think like, hey, we have three shots, right? Just say one's at the daytime, one's at night, and one's on Mars, right? And you just need some like full body shots and you don't want to do all this color correcting and green screening. You can pretty much just get a good shot right there in an hour or two just switching it up the background and it looks great i I mean it's you can't even tell on mandalorian you can't tell like a lot of these shots i've been seeing other people do online it's like close to perfect yeah it's like i watch mandalorian and i don't even think about it i'm just like oh yeah they're on tattooing nice right (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but i love how i don't know i saw some behind the scenes with mandalorian and they always have a vr artist on board who will be like moving rocks around and they'll be like oh we need a building back there and he'll just like he's in the world while moving the buildings and they're watching it through the screens what he's doing it's so cool Which leads me to my next question. What do you think about VR? Have you experimented with VR? Do you have a VR headset? So I have pretty much no experience. Here's how little I have. I have only worn a headset at like a amusement park. (laughs) But then in kind of preparation for this, I was like Googling VR headsets the other day. And I saw it, it had two listings. It was like 100 gigabytes or 200. And I was kind of just baffled for a second. I was like, wait, they have storage? I thought it just like hooked up to your computer. (laughs) Like that's how little I know. But when it comes to like what you're describing, like laying out a, a scene on the Mandalorian, that sounds awesome. I would love to try something like that. Here's a question for you. Have you heard this story about these Russian cows with the VR? Yes, and they actually produce better milk or like healthier milk because they're in pastures, right? With the virtual reality. Yeah, I believe the story is that these cows in Russia in like the dreary winter are so depressed that when they put two VR headsets on either side of their head, because their head is so big it can't fit one, and they put, I don't know, some like sunny environment into the headset, they will produce more. It's like the exact concept of the matrix, <laughs> like literally putting someone into a world to like receive more output. Uh, that hey, That's where now we're talking about inflation. Imagine you can't go, you don't have a huge house or maybe it's just bad outside. Like the, the streets are destroyed or something. You put a headset on. And now you're in the futuristic cool bar or something. You can be anywhere you yeah. want. I think it will be interesting is if people would rather be in having a good time in VR versus reality just yeah. because of their living condition. Well, here's the other thing I was kind of thinking, and maybe this has already been discussed on here, but kind of going off of a shitty environment and needing to step into like an alternative reality Do you think that after like, I don't know, two years of Zoom, do you think that's going to be a bridge for people for VR, just in terms of it's communicating with people in a slightly elevated or not elevated, but like distant reality 
and it's not quite yourself. You're looking at like a avatar of yourself with shitty lighting. Like, do you think that's going to help or that is kind of 0.5 VR in some way? Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's really shocking to me how much I forget I'm even in VR at times. It's really yeah. Oh, you really feel like you're there sometimes. I, I mean, especially in certain worlds that are just really good. When you're talking with your friends, I mean, the hand gestures, right? I just got uh, Vive trackers for my feet and my waist. So even when I walk, I, it's like I'm seeing my hands and my feet move and it looks like my hands and it looks like my feet and the audio is just perfect and it's really great graphics it feels real and now they're starting to get the haptic feedbacks i'm hearing with the suits and sony's coming out they just announced last week that they're going to have haptic feedbacks in your headset which is interesting i don't know how that'll what exactly that will entail or if that'll just make a shaky vision which I, that sounds like hell to me but but yeah it's just i definitely think it's the future i mean i lose a sense of reality when i'm in vr at especially with a few drinks definitely <laughs> and, and when you say suits you mean like mocap suits so it's funny I, I literally was just thinking about this the other day and i've never thought about it before but at what point can we use a mocap suit versus what we're doing right now. So, I mean, I've got Vive trackers. You can kind of see one. Oh, well, actually, no, I moved it down there. But there's one. And uh, for the people looking, you kind of set up the Vive trackers in the corner of the room. There's another one up there, which I've done a lot of mocap tracking, and some of them use infrared lasers, which are highly accurate, which is what these are doing. These are, like, really accurate. And then I use... Two of these index controllers, which strap on like this, and then the finger controls are here so it can tell where my fingers are. And then I strap these. I've got three of these. Two of these go to my feet, and then one goes to my waist. That's basically a mocap suit. <laughs> it's a mocap suit, yeah. I was just like, and I've seen people that now are getting 10 of them. They're putting them on their elbows and their knees, and they're getting like perfect vr avatar movements and i'm like okay can we just export this data out into models <laughs> you know that's so funny there's like some website it's like you literally just like film a video of yourself and it tries to extrapolate the motion and make a kind of armature out of it i like had no space in my apartment so i literally just did it kind of in a playground in queens it was a super weird experience but like i don't know i was just looking for like such a specific reaction it was like one of my rocket things and i just wanted i think i had posted one and someone commented wow these people aren't reacting at all so i was like okay for this one i'll just have someone who's going crazy like getting blown away and like freaking out and i was i could not find anything online for that <laughs> i was looking up emotional type of mocap performances there's a lot of walking around and gun stuff there's certain things that just do not exist it feels like they're all for video games almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, it's like you cannot even see it in the video. If you look really closely at the rocket flying over Brooklyn, you can see it right at the beginning, but it's kind of just like an Easter egg at this point. If you keep listening, hopefully in the future episodes, I'm going to experiment more with this, but because the Roco suits are... And it might be Rococo. I don't know, but Rococo, yeah, I think. Yeah, that stuff is so expensive. It's like ten thousand dollars or some shit. I don't yeah, know. It's wild. I feel like it's always the go-to prize for stuff these days. I'll just see some, I don't know, content creator or sponsored person with one. I'm like so jealous. Yeah, with VR, I feel like I've gotten into a weird sense of adding in life into levels because you build a room and you walk into a room. There's just, it feels dead. But if you can put in a flickering monitor or something like that, it just gives it life. And I kind of feel like that's the same way almost with videos, even though it's 2D, is like you want the natural reaction, something to like give it life. And if you can add a human element, like you were just saying before and how you added somebody with the rocket reactions. Yeah. It's like always the thing people comment on my videos. I think even on my last one, I have like this biker who does nothing. He just keeps biking. 
people are like, oh, biker, not really reacting. Biker said <laughs> a lot of jokes. I'm like, well, didn't have time. That's why. That's funny. Okay. Well, I hope you do get more into it. If you do or you have any questions, Discord always reach out on that. And I'm actually even thinking that one of the meetups for anybody last Tuesday of every month, but I'm thinking maybe towards the summer, we might do like a VR world and go to Manhattan and just maybe rent out a cool VR thing for all of us. And we can just like, just have a good time there. Yeah, that sounds dope. Well, so let's go into the next big question that everybody always argues about or is very strongly opinionated about these days. NFTs, what's your experience with it? What's your thoughts on it? All right, well, I'll start with my experience, which is that I've never made one and I've I've never bought one. I probably will never make one. A lot of reasons for all of that. I feel like even just my friend group, it's like a little too controversial amongst them. And I feel like if I even made one, I would just immediately be ostracized. <laughs> but I feel like it really depends on who's who's making them. I've thought about this a lot. And I was thinking, despite me pretty much vowing to never make one, like if I had, I don't know, I'm not that big on Instagram, but if I had 100,000 followers a year ago, I would have definitely made one. I would have definitely, why the hell wouldn't I? But yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a little too controversial these days, at least personally. I kind of lay in no man's land on it. I wish all my friends who make NFTs that they sell and they get lots of money. I have myself not made any yet. I still kind of am speculating the whole thing. In one sense, I'm like, just post it and see what happens. But in another sense, it's just like, I don't know. I think it's the cash grabbingness of it. Like, okay, so why am I even putting out there cash grab? Okay, well, you're an artist. You're supposed to make money. I know, but it, it's just, I feel like so many of these people are just doing it just to get money. And is that a bad thing? It's not, I don't know. I guess it's selling out. Maybe we just come from a weird generation of hating sellouts, but it just, I feel like I've seen a few artists where they make really incredible work and now they're just producing shit just to be an NFT. It's not a two minute reel. You're not doing short films anymore. You're doing 10 second loops and I have to like see it in a square that's (laughs) tiny and you're selling it for like five grand. And I'm just like, damn, what happened? Yeah, no, a weird egotistical part of me is like whenever I make my Instagram posts, I never even consider making them into NFTs, but I'm like, these would be good NFTs. (laughs) Because I'm like, they're little tiny squares that like pretty much have no other. It's not like they're part of a larger project. I'm like, uh, this would be good if I was an NFT person. Right. I feel like they'd be good material for an NFT, but like, yeah, not going to do it. I've been thinking that I might do something as an NFT, almost to use it as its value for what it is. It's a proof, right? So I was thinking... I might, this is like an idea I've been mentioning recently, and I'm still working on it, but a UFO, and if you own the NFT, that means I am your repair person on the UFO. So say, for instance, you want to bring it into VR chat, I will export it into VR chat for you. I will readapt it so that it works in this world. And it'll have like a two-year limit. So you're buying me. Interesting. That's that's something that I've always, I mean, I, I'm sure I could just find the answer if I really Googled. I'll see these NFTs from like Beeple or someone where it's like, oh, he's put together this really cool, I don't even know what it is, like some kind of 3D display or something, or like there's like a whole kit that comes with it. And I'm like, does that just stay with one person? It's just the first person who gets like all the, <laughs> the goodies and then everyone else just gets the little JPEG. Well, that's the crazy thing is people sell the nft but then they keep the physical copy and then i've seen other people that sell the physical copy and then keep the actual nft so because i feel like i mean down the line that person's probably going to sell the real thing and just like make bank and then it just becomes like a real life nft yeah you bought a piece of art which is what (laughs) yeah exactly i will say this is going to be the controversial thing that um, makes nobody want to listen to me anymore. But I used to love MoGraph podcast. And now I feel like they say NFT every single sentence. And I'm like, I can't anymore. Like, I just cannot. 
I just want to hear artists talk about making cool art in their life. But now they do like the drop 20 minutes in and I'm like, okay. Yeah, that it could get a little tiring. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned a documentary before at the beginning of the podcast, an NFT documentary. What was that exactly? Yeah, I mean, maybe documentary is a little too formal of a word for it. But there, I and I haven't really heard of this creator before, but this guy called, I think his YouTube name is like Folding Ideas. He put up this video called Line Goes Up. And it's almost like a two hour takedown of NFTs. He just like rambles for... I mean, he covers like some other topics, just like cryptocurrency stuff and profile picture communities. And I mean, it's very informative. I feel like after watching that, especially very hard to kind of justify any part of that world. He talks about the environmental impacts and the scammy nature of it. It's interesting. I have some critiques of his video as a whole. Like he doesn't really talk to any, anyone from the other side. But he did a funny thing where he pretty much, you know, you get those, I'm sure if you tweet something about NFTs or you post anything related, you get tons of messages. And even me, I, I posted something on Twitter and I got a message from the, it was so funny. What was it called? The um, the Wise Guys Ape Club or something. I was like, what the hell is this? But he basically took all of those invites and just accepted their discords and got on as many as he could. And that was pretty funny. Yeah, that is another thing that I almost hate about the NFTs is it's just almost destroyed going on even Instagram for me. It's like I post one thing and it's like 20 Instagram bots hit me up and they're like, oh, check out my NFT, check out my NFT. Have you heard of this NFT? This NFT is the next big thing. And it's like all the same photos. I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, here's the thing is that a lot of these I mean, he kind of touched on this in the the video too. It's like a lot of these people, they can rub you the wrong way with their flexing and their their board ape profile pictures. But it's like at the end of the day, a lot of what he was saying is that a lot of these people are middle class Americans and or as far as his analytics went, and they're just trying to make a buck. Maybe they're not the brightest, but like who doesn't want passive income is like the thing at the end of the day. Yeah, and you look at AMC, look at GME, look at any of these massive stocks that exploded. Why did they explode? Because everyone said they wanted it to. And guess what? You can sell that and make a lot of money. I definitely did with GME. I heard everybody talking about it. And I went in and I made money. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same kind of concept. Well, for anybody that's new in the industry and or maybe this can be just advice that is for everybody or even just pros. Do you have any pocket advice? Okay, this is going to be, I think, a controversial take for this podcast because I've listened to a couple episodes and I've heard a lot of preaching about the everydays. Oh, yes. But... I think I am someone who is almost in the opposite camp. Wow. Okay. I love this. Go. Where So my advice, because my big projects that I'll spend four to five weeks on, they always, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best artist in the world, but when people respond to them and tell me they enjoy them, I tell them it's because I worked five weeks on this thing. And that's kind of my advice is if you want to have good work in your portfolio or stuff that you're proud of, you got to give a project its time. There's nothing wrong with everydays, but sometimes it might be worth it to spend a month on something. And it's tough. It's not easy to work on something for a month. I'm working on something right now and it does not look good. I've been working on it for a couple weeks and it still looks like crap. You got to power through and accept that your project might look like shit for a while. But if you spend a long time on it, maybe it'll look good. You're right. Because to be honest, I think a lot of people do talk about everydays. And some of the best work I do see and have ever seen are definitely 1 billion percent not made in a day. Yeah. Actually, I would say all the best work is not made in a day. Like, I respect people, but very frequently when I see his posts, I just think, this is cool. He made this in a day. Imagine what he could do if he spent three weeks on this. It could be unbelievable if he spent a day on that. Yeah, I love it. That is great advice. Sticking on a project in its own, especially for ADD people. What's funny is, yeah, I can't agree more with you that every days are easy, way easier than doing big projects and got to try them. I've only done maybe one or two and those are 
the things in my reel and that inspires me. Maybe I will try a, a big three week or one month project here. I totally recommend it. I mean, the other thing is, oh my God, every day is you have to think of an idea every day. <laughs> oh, I only have to do that once a month. I mean, granted, you got to think of something good that's worth spending a month on, but that's it. I've already thought of my next idea and I'm not even halfway done with my current project. Well, I'm excited to see your ideas because your ideas are baller. And I thank will you. definitely say, yeah. And the final product is even better. So, yo, thank you for being on the podcast. Is there anything else you would like to share? Are you doing any events? Anything you would like to say? I have one minor thing to plug. I have a product available. It's a very niche product, but I put together a texture pack a few months ago. I'm not like a real product person, but... I was trying to texture some roofs for like a New York City type thing. And I realized there's not a lot of good rooftops on the internet for this kind of VFX stuff. So I I went on like three quests kind of to shoot roofs in, in the city. I went to like a big parking garage and I went on a bridge and I went, I actually went to like a sushi restaurant near me that has like a rooftop that I could shoot from and Anyway, if you're really interested, just go to Gumroad and search my social media. It's all the same. Awesome. That is sick because, yeah, that is a texture that is hard to find. And or, or if you really need it, just search it and you'll, you'll probably find what I made. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a blast. I love talking about all this cool stuff with you. And, yeah, man, we'll stay in touch.